Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Welcome back, everybody, to the 50th episode of the Silver Club Podcast. Colin and I will be right with our esteemed guests this week, Zach Blair and Kai Golby. They've got some great stories you're not going to want to miss, but just wanted to quickly tell you about the Silver Club Golfing Society and all the great things we have going on. Our membership continues to grow. It's been a tremendous time talking with, getting to know everybody who's coming on board and all the excitement surrounding our event schedule this year. Just can't wait to get out there with everybody at our first major at the Chichesi Creek Club at the end of March. We have a tremendous lineup, including places like Rolling Green, Pumpkin Ridge, and Oak Hill, site of the Ryder Cup and PGA Championship. Take a look at our website at silverclubgs.com. And you can get a sense of every place we get to go. It's all about great golf, great architecture, great camaraderie, and a lot of competition. You can also hop on our social media handles at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we're on Facebook. And check us out on LinkedIn as well. We've just had a tremendous time connecting you to some of the greatest people that make up the fabric of our great game that we all love. Some of the past episodes that we've had up to this 50th episode, we did a three-part series with the great teacher Bob Toski. Some of the characters in the game stopped by to give us their thoughts, like Vinnie Giles and Jason Gore, and even the great broadcasting mind and voice of Dan Hicks from NBC. We love connecting you to the history of the game, so don't forget to subscribe and download all of our past 49 episodes up to this point. The sponsors of our Silver Club are very important to us, and there are three in particular that have stuck with us throughout our existence, and we cannot thank them enough for the great products they make and the great friendships that they have helped garner. A great apparel brand, the Turtleson Company fantastic customer service, and their products are wonderful. Torch Eyewear, a great company that has sporty and classy eyewear for every part of your life. Check out Torch. And finally, the Winston Collection. Winston helps supply us with some of the finest head covers, towels, all the accessories you need for the game of golf, and more. Trophies, prizes, luggage, they just keep reinventing themselves. And over our 49 episodes thus far, I cannot thank you, our listener, enough for your support in downloading, subscribing, spreading the word about our fun podcast that we love cranking out to you all the time. We just can't wait to hear from you, and maybe you have some ideas who our next 50 guests should be on our Silver Club podcast in the future. We truly hope that you enjoy this wonderful 50th episode of the Silver Club podcast. It has been our pleasure to bring it to you, and I know you're going to really love this one with Zach Blair and Kai Golby as they discuss lots of great topics, including their new project in South Carolina, The Tree Farm. Enjoy this Silver Club podcast. Today's our 50th Silver Club podcast episode. Please welcome Zach Blair and Kai Golby. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, look, we, we've got a lot to get into, but Zach, your world has been uh, upended a little bit in the last several months, last half a year, and you kept the, the name of your son all in the architecture world. Tell us how excited you are to be a father. Yeah, it's been uh, really, really cool. Um you know, I think something obviously anyone kind of looks forward to, and it's been everything I expected and more. It's been it's been great. Can't wait for uh, you know him to keep growing up and and everything like that. It's been awesome. His name is Charles Blair, as in uh, Charles Blair McDonald. I would imagine, right? Maybe had a little <laughs> influence. Yeah, for sure. You know, he's he's one of my favorites. So thought I would uh, you know pay him a little respect. 
No question. And and Kai, you have a, a pretty dramatic and and deep golfing background in your family too. I I live in Winston Salem, so I know you went to Wake Forest and uh, yeah, sure. probably got a lot of your golf architecture insight and and inspiration from a place like Old Town here in Winston, great Perry Maxwell from 1939. But I mean, your family, long lineage, your father, 1968 master champion. Uh, you just always grew up around the game, huh? Yeah, pretty much. I grew up, uh, you know, obviously my dad was a good player and I grew up about five houses away from a fellow Winston-Salem resident of yours, Jerry Haas. So the Haas <laughs> is uh, like four or five houses away and we are about two blocks away from a William Langford golf course that we grew up belonging to and playing. So, uh, yeah, I was the worst player that I, that I basically knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly the Haas, the Haas family. Uh, yeah, just a you know, tremendous stewards of the game. You know, some of the best people in the game. But you yourself, you've on the architecture world. I mean, talk to us about about how you really got into it all, and you played at Wake Forest, and describe a little bit of your upbringing in the game. Yep, I was in the team. I was uh, again. I was not the top five player. I played some my freshman sophomore year. Really didn't play after that on the team and uh the team actually won the ncaa my senior year with no help from me at all but, uh, <laughs> so we had a, a lot of good players at school at the school there and uh as you said got to play old town all the time and at the time old town i didn't really think it was a good golf course but it was you know we didn't hit it that far back then and we played on common bermuda dormant common bermuda that was basically you're trying to chip off of mud to those little crown greens that were a lot smaller back then and it was a frustrating place to play golf. It was like, it wasn't like, oh, this is really cool. It was just aggravating at times because you're playing in the winter in muddy, you know, common dead dormant Bermuda. So uh, <laughs> I, it was, uh, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I did late. You know, you appreciated it, but. Sure. When was the last time you were out there? Uh, probably about two or three years ago. We were working down at Pinehurst number three, doing a little renovation work there and came up and played with Jerry. So whatever that was. I think it was three years ago. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, they've, they've done a, they've done a tremendous job over there. The, uh, the czar Dunlop white has, uh, has really helped guide that place really well. And yeah, you certainly, and I know, and I know Zach, we, we met out there briefly when you're out there with punch bull pack DC, but what, what's your thought about a place like old town and how it sits in the architecture world pantheon? Yeah, I had a lot of fun out there. Um, you know, we stopped by after, you know, we had an event down in Pinehurst at the Dormy Club. And uh, we brought a couple of groups up there. DC hosted us and uh, a couple of his friends. And it was it was really cool. It was my first time out there. Um, you know, I've been begging DC to get back ever since. But, uh, you know, he, he never gives me the invite anymore. So I must not be <laughs> cool enough for him to bring up there. Oh, you have the invite, you invite back. We can hook you up. Yeah, we. Well, yeah. Well, I, I know. I know a guy. We'll talk about the tree farm a little bit, but we want to just. How did you guys connect, and and why? Why is it uh, the partnership between you guys are going to work out in helping create your new project there? Zach, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Kai actually picked me up from the airport uh, in Atlanta one time. Uh, we were going down to play some golf at, uh, at a hoopie with, with some guys. And um, I somehow bummed a ride off of him, um, set up. Yeah, I happened to be in Will. Atlanta playing playing golf that day, and Will Smith asked if I could pick you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, we just got chatting, you know, about golf and, you know, golf course architecture and kind of what I like and what he likes. And, uh, you know, at least for me, it, it was uh, – it was, you know, a very easy two or three hour ride talking about a lot of really cool projects and a lot of really cool places and just kind of, you know, trying to soak it all in and, and, and learn a thing here and there. And that's kind of, you know, how I've treated this whole process is just trying to become, you know, a little more versed in, in things that I'm no expert on. So um, it, it was really cool to kind of just to be able to have, a, you know, a little bit of insight and uh, into some of these projects and you know what goes on and you know how's the best way to make it work and you know what people are really trying to do here and there and uh that's kind of how it started 
Kai, tell us about your sort of post-college career after um, you briefly were in a non-golf sort of uh, endeavor. You, you kind of reverted back and had this, you had a, you have a very cool sort of uh, route to your to sort of golf architecture. Yeah, after uh, three or four years getting in the financial business and realizing that wasn't my cup of tea, I lucked out. My dad lives in Belleville, Illinois. He still actually lives there. He grew up there. That Langford course I was talking about, he grew up caddying and taking care of the greens on that course. And uh, so he was in Belleville, Illinois. I was up in Boston, and he told me some guys wanted him to design a golf course. They were building a golf course. This was in the... 1990 and there was a kind of I think four or five hundred golf courses were being built almost every year in the early 90s so some guys asked him to do it and he mentioned it It was like you know what that sounds really cool I was thinking of switching careers and that would be a cool thing to do I'm going to bag this Boston stuff and come back there and help you do that so I kind of went back there and got to do a lot more than I should have been able to do as someone that didn't know anything but being 25 at the time 26 I thought I knew everything so uh, anyway, I kind of got to work with that for a summer, a year, and there was a guy shaping greens at that golf course, and he and I ended up doing about four or five more golf courses in the St. Louis area, and then I got to do one on my own when I was 28 years old, when I got to do my first golf course on my own. So it was a small course, and did that, and then did a couple other ones on my own and with my dad, and kind of decided, you know what, I think there's more to this, and I had read a lot of the books at that time and I got in touch with Tom Doak and Bill Corr and Pete Dye and Tom was the one that followed up with me and I ended up going to work with him and worked with him for, well, still been working with him for, that was 1997. And so, you know, do the math. We're talking 25 years, 24 years. So you're, so you've reached this point, right? Where you're, you're um, a maestro behind the machinery, right? I mean, you design and build what, Tell us about your process, your role in a, in a golf course. I, early on, when I mentioned doing my own, my first design, you know, the first design was, okay, we laid out or did a routing, but I was out there building every every element of the course on the machine, pretty much doing all of it. And uh, that stemmed from really the first couple courses I did, trying to explain to guys how to build things. And I didn't really know what I was doing completely, but I also couldn't explain it very well. And I couldn't draw it very well. And it looked like a lot of fun to get on the machine. So eventually I got on the machine and it's just a lot of fun building. It's a very creative process to be out there actually building and thinking about what you want to do. And, you know, you might start with an idea, but it can evolve. So um, over the years, you know, I've gotten better at it. And as I told people before, running a machine that, you know, running an excavator or a bulldozer, it's not a difficult skill, but, you know, figure out how to make cool golf. It's just a tool you're using to make cool golf. And so I've become pretty proficient on the machines, but, that's that's not the key. The key is to understand what good golf is and how to get into the ground and maybe have a little artistic flair at the same time. Kai, obviously you work all the time. You collaborate. You're, you're, work, you're listening to architects. I mean, it's like being in a, in a band. There's improvisation. There's there's collaboration. You know, you work with clients. You work with the architects. I mean, you know, what is that dynamic? You know, what is the process like when you're sort of bouncing ideas back and forth? And, you know, and Zach, what, you know, I'd like to hear... You know, you know, what is it? It's going to be a, it's going to be a really interesting experience, like getting to sort of pick his brain and and see how you know, sort of see how this all sort of works out in the dirt. Because that's really where it gets solved, doesn't it? Pretty much. I mean, you know, you can have really good ideas, and there's some holes, some greens that works just like you think they're going to work. It's pretty obvious, and you know, working with Tom Doak a lot of the time, and with Gil Hans a decent amount the last five or six years, you know, you're working with guys that are really good at it and you kind of see what they're thinking and you want to take in everything that that you can from them. But a lot of it does happen in the dirt. It's like, you know, you can, if I'm spending 20 hours, two days, 10 hours a day on a machine on a green, I'm probably going to have some sort of thought as it's evolving and being built that maybe someone that's only there for a few hours, you know, while they might have some great ideas, some little things happen. And I think that's when you get the trust of a guy like Gil or Tom, that is the reason they, that you work with them. And with me, you mentioned before the architecture, designing and shaping. I, I kind of mentioned that first job and to me, it all kind of went together. And 
it's like, yeah, you can lay the golf course out, but you still, what if you don't build it really well and you don't just you do the shaping really well, it doesn't really matter how well you designed it because it's not going to be right. And so I've never really thought that they were completely separate items. And I've also really never cared that much about if I got credit for the design or if I was, you know, just called the designer. I just enjoy building the cool golf. And I think that's where Zach and I have a really good interaction together is that we're just trying to build cool golf and nobody's really worrying about who's going to get credit for what. It's just, let's build some really cool golf based on a lot of the great golf courses we've seen. I, I've got to go back just for a second. Uh, now, Zach, obviously, and, and you know, kind of like Kai mentioned with his father, Bob, and the Masters champion and all that, you, you've got a pretty uh, talented father yourself, Utah Golf Hall of Famer, played in PGA Championships, played uh, Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, well, it was the nationwide tour back then. We actually went to the, the Q School at the same exact time uh, uh, back in 2002. He beat me by a shot at finals at uh, PGA West. So we, we both didn't finish <laughs> too far uh, up the, up the uh, scoreboard there. But, um, but you, you obviously learned the game from him. What sort of, what sort of things that your father does that, that you do and that you really learned and employ on the course when you play in your, your tour events? Yeah. So, uh, like you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I just grew up around the game as well. Um, so, you know, from an early age, just kind of traveling with him to state opens or, you know, the nationwide tour events, everything. It was just so cool to kind of be around it and soak it all in. And, you know, when you're that age, you don't really understand it to its, you know, to the, to the highest degree of really what's going on. But, I think that's stuff that, you know, you see it growing up and you just kind of naturally pick up on it and start doing it. So, you know, from the time I was really young, I was kind of around really, really good players, which really does help. You know, you just kind of see how they're doing stuff and you pick up things and, you know, things here and there, which is really cool. So for me, you know, my dad always kept it really, really simple. You know, I kind of had like a few rules down the middle on the green. That was, uh, that was kind of the thing he taught me growing up, you know, and as long as you can kind of keep doing that, you're always going to, you know, be in a decent spot. It seems like, so it was kind of down the middle on the green and keep my grip pressure. And, you know, I grew up kind of hitting balls on a fence and, you know, I, I just, I felt like I did everything like pretty good. You know, I was not, I wasn't the longest hitter. wasn't the straightest hitter. wasn't the best putter and chipper but I was pretty good at all of it, which, you know, seemed to, to kind of work out and, you know, got me where I am today, which has been really fun. So um, it, it was really cool having him and, you know, still having him. He's, he's been my only coach my entire life. So it's a really cool connection and, you know, it's crazy how much he knows and, you know, he can just watch on the, you know, on the app and kind of tell me like, you're aiming too far right. And you're like, how could you possibly know that? But, you know, then you get thinking about it and you're like, yeah, you know what? I did, I did miss like a lot of those this way. So it, it's been really cool. And, you know, hopefully I can be like that with my kid. Yeah. No, that's, no, that's really exciting. I, I, a little birdie told me about a, about a fun story. Uh, you were, you were pretty young. It was the 2000 PGA championship maybe. And, you wanted a a PlayStation really bad, and Xbox. A, Xbox. Okay, excuse me. I got the the, the story. <laughs> the story was passed along wrong on the uh, the game of telephone. But so so your entrepreneurial side, and this kind of lends itself into you know how entrepreneurial you are today. How did you raise the funds for that Xbox that time? Yeah, so I think the Xbox had just come out and. Um, <laughs> You know, I was I was probably like so spoiled. Um, you know, you couldn't even imagine. I think I had just gotten a PlayStation, uh, but the Xbox had just come out, and um, it was the PGA at Hazeltine. So I'm not. It wasn't the 2001. It might have, or I don't know. It was one of those ones right around then. Oh, okay. Uh, but okay, O2. And okay. Uh, I had asked my dad, um, you know, if I if I raise enough money, could I buy myself an Xbox? And he's thinking like you're like, you know, you're like 10 years old. Yeah, sure. Like, where are you going to raise like two or $300? Um, so he's like, yeah, go ahead. And so my dad was playing and, uh, 
So we had like the clubhouse passes and, um, you know, my dad's getting ready to go out for a practice round. And I kind of told him like, Hey, I'm just going to hang out um, today. You guys, you know, go, go play your practice round. I'll be here when you get done. And I guess, you know, the story he tells is he was making the turn and he's walking through where kind of nine and 18 kind of cross going to the tent pole. And he hears these people, you know, screaming, Zach, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you 50 for a Sergio or, you know, I'll pay you 25 <laughs> for this, or, you know, I'll pay you 75 for a tiger. So I was taking my clubhouse pass and running back and forth, um, hawking autographs, you know, going into the locker room, you know, grabbing autographs from guys like, you know, Phil and Tiger and Sergio and, and going and taking them to people and selling them. And, you know, I, I raised enough money to buy the Xbox. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's too good. So yeah, so, certainly something you can get away with when you're, when you're 10 or 12 years old or something, that's funny. That's, that's really good. I love that. I love that. Um, did the love, I mean, of being around the tour, I mean, ultimately, did you know that's what you wanted to do at an early age? Um, you know, I, I played kind of all sports growing up. I played baseball kind of until high school. I, I really, really liked baseball. Um, I had a couple really, really good coaches. Buster Schwab was one of them. Who was, he just he made it so easy and so fun, you know, at the same time, you know, excelling and getting really good that that was kind of something that I felt like I wanted to do. Um, but then I would say right around, you know, 10th or 11th grade, I just started kind of getting better at golf. Um, and at that point it was kind of like, kind of like a no brainer going to go play in college. And as I kind of kept progressing, you know, again, just being around it my whole life, it was kind of a, again, kind of a no brainer, at least give it a try and, you know, see what happens. Zach, where did you get, where did your sort of your love and interest in golf architecture develop? Well, my dad, um, you know, owned and operated a couple of, you know, like family golf courses that were, um, you know, like driving ranges and, and nine hole courses. One of them had a nine hole course and then a, maybe like a nine hole par three course. The other one had a nine hole course and a driving range and mini golf. And my dad, you know, built those golf courses. I mean, he wasn't the one on the, on the dozer and stuff, you know, pushing dirt around, but, uh, you know, he designed them and everything like that. So, um, again, from an early age, that's kind of the stuff that I was around, but I think really just being out on tour, you know, getting invited to some really cool places, getting to play some tournaments at some really cool golf courses. You know, I told you, I went over to Scotland, kind of my, one of my years in college for a week or so. And I think the more really cool places I saw and the more, I began kind of learning about them, the more interested I got. And, uh, the, the real kind of aha moment for me was, uh, at the Greenbrier, my rookie year, just like seeing all that, you know, CB McDonald, Seth Rayner kind of influenced design. I was kind of like, wow, this is like, this is so crazy and so different. And I just really got, you know, my interest peaked there and got reading about it and trying to find out more. And then, then it just kind of snowballed. So you make it, um, you make it an effort, right? Every, every week you're on tour, um, you seem to, you know, you play your practice round, but you take advantage of Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to jam in as, as many good courses <laughs> in addition to the, you know, on the side. Is that right? Yeah. If there's a, you know, you, typically there's a really good place or two kind of, within driving distance you know I've, I've driven i've driven a pretty <laughs> i've driven pretty far to go play some cool spots during a week um it's just like you know for, not many people kind of get the opportunity just every week to be around really good golf courses so i've kind of treated it as a situation um you know to go learn and go see things and for me, you know, at least the last five or six years, kind of building this club is something that I've really, really wanted to do. And I felt like the, the, you know, the best learning I could, could do is see the best places. So I've, I've tried to, you know, take advantage of it. 
What's the furthest that you've gone during a tournament week out of your way to go play one of these great places? I went to Pine Valley um, during Travelers one year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pine Valley actually, near, we went, near we Philadelphia, went. Travelers in Connecticut, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we actually went down and played. I want to say I played a practice round on um, – I, I, I was going to play a practice round on Wednesday – so I uh, I got up there, got kind of checked into the hotel, drove down kind of early in the morning and actually played Marion that afternoon, stayed the night, played Pine Valley the next morning, and then, then rolled back up for the tournament. <laughs> it was fun. pretty good. But you, How you, you know, do the tournament back? <laughs> the same obsessive, yeah, compulsive. You had a good week. I mean, you know, the same. Okay. So, well, Zach, you've you've obviously like, you've you've been kind of in that effort to just sort of gather all your information and 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 collect all of your data. You know, it's it's the same thing, isn't it, um, Kai? Like any good architect, like you've made it your mission to just go out of your way whenever possible and just follow the kind of the sort of model of compiling, trying to see every type of golf great and small in order to sort of have that in your sort of you know in your memory bank when you're out there in the dirt for sure you can see you might you might be playing a muni i'm out in california right now you might go play a nine-hole muni in california and you might see some weird green that they just kind of use the land and that you know the golf course might be terrible but you might pick up one little thing and uh yeah, the more you see, the better you're going to get. Just because there's going to be, your palette's going to be bigger. What for you? I when think you, for me. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think for me, that's been one of the really cool things. Um, like talking to Kai uh, about this stuff is, like anywhere I say, you know, like I, I could literally say any random golf course that I've ever played. I feel like. And I'm like, yeah, like the fifth green out, you know, out at North Berwick or like, you know, just some random place, even just like in America or Scotland or anywhere. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, yeah, when I was doing this course here, we would go play there like all the time. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so that's been a really cool thing for me. You know, there's actually been a couple of times where I've said something and he was like, oh, yeah, like we actually like built that or like I built that or, you know, <laughs> we built that green or I was working on that course. And it's been like, OK, so like, yeah, I'm I'm just like I'm the dumb one here. Like you're the one that knows all of this stuff. But, you know, at least that, you know, I'm not when, I, when I'm really geeking out on this stuff. I've got somebody that's kind of that knows exactly what I'm talking about, which really does help. Well, let's talk about that. I know that. Putting the club aspect aside, I know Zach we've spent you know all these hours like refining that kind of concept. But um, from tell both of you like tell us about the property and describe it to us and you know the aspect of obviously having Tom Doe contribute aspects of the routing. But you know if, describe 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 to us what what you envision, what's, what the potential is, what, what you sort of hope to accomplish out there. Take it, Zach. You've been there way more than me. <laughs> yeah, to, you know, to me, Kai, Kai kind of touched on it earlier. Um, and I feel like he feels the same way. I, I'm, I'm just trying to build the coolest place we can. Um, the property is really cool. It's got some really dramatic features to it and some, you know, really cool elevation changes that, um, you know, are similar to maybe some of the places in the area, but obviously have their own kind of uniqueness to them. But, um, uh, you know, there's some cool ridges and bowls. And um, I, I really think that if it turns out anything like I think it can be, it'll be a really cool place. And I'm just, I just want to make it fun. So, you know, the second you walk off 18, you want to head back to one. That's kind of been my theory all along. And I feel like everybody else that's involved has kind of bought into that and is on board to, to help make that happen. 
I think from a, from my perspective, a non uh, I mean, I haven't I haven't toured a site that's been uncleared or haven't gone down the road that you guys have, but I've certainly got an affinity for great architecture, being a head pro up in the Northeast New York Met section and being able to play a lot of great courses. But the thing that that really baffles me is that is how is how people like you and I know topo maps are really everything to you, but but how you see a golf course or envision holes in the middle of a dense forest, that just blows my mind. Yeah, the Tobo map helps a lot when you've got that situation. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll get surprised like, when the trees get cleared. You're like, oh, I thought it was like that, but that's even crazier than I thought. Or that's a bigger hill than I thought. Or that green site's not going to work. I thought it would, but there's no way. So the Topo helps immensely with the trees. And so, you know, obviously this, I guess it's, you know, this project, um, every, every great course needs contours and elevation. And if they, but if it's also a challenge and it, 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 they become their own challenge in, in order to, in, in order to sort of use them correctly and, and, and build holes that fit. How do you, how do you, how do you envision sort of a, a you know, using this, using this property? Um, building these holes like to sort of work work around these contours well as zach mentioned it's there's a lot of topography a lot of movement in the land and it's you know it's pretty dramatic movement you've got 50 60 foot valleys and ridges in there and it creates great drama but it also can be too severe if you don't route it correctly and i think when zach and i were talking early on now he has, I think he has close to 500 acres. Is that right, Zach? Yeah. Yeah. So if you have 500 acres and usually you, a golf course, you know, today might take 200 acres. So we had two and a half golf courses worth of property out there. You could spend a lot of time routing holes and going different ways. And we did early on, we were kind of having fun geeking out and could we put two golf courses in here? Could we put, you know, one, could we go start this way? Could we go there? And so we had a lot of different options and, I think bringing Tom in, part of it was, hey, if we get Tom here, we can find out the best solution from the guy that's probably the best at routing. Why should, you know, if we can get him involved. And so that happened. But really creating drama with the golf holes and using that terrain in the best way without, as Zach's been really adamant that he wants it to be easily walkable, which is really cool. So you don't want to be going up and down the hills all day long where you're just worn out after 12 holes and you don't even want to keep going. And Zach, as Zach said, he wants you to go out again. So finding a way to route this thing using the terrain, but yet still be able to walk, I think is what we've all been after, but yet still, still see all the property and all the cool parts of it. Talk about some of the origins of the property though. I know maybe you had a, another name in mind and, and talk about the origins. I mean, the, the, the project is called the tree farm. So uh, obviously we have an idea of what's uh, what's on the property, but talk about some of the origins of the property and how you, how you came about finding that particular site. That's going to be perfect. Yeah. I actually found it on the internet. I, uh, I <laughs> like was, any I other good thing, looking. right? You can, you can do anything on the internet. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, when the, when the stuff in Utah kind of got put on hold, you know, as I learned kind of more about the construction and the cost and, you know, the seasonality of a club and how important all those factors are. And, you know, just, just being so remote, even though Salt Lake's not remote, it, you know, it is in a sense of, you know, there's not too much, drive by action going on you're not you're not <laughs> driving from new york to florida or something like that so as sure. i kind of learned more about that aspect of this whole project you know I, I i kind of started thinking like okay the east coast is obviously way better like denser population you could you know a lot more um the ability to kind of have that drive by in play um was huge and then i got thinking of, of other things about you know, the masters and how that area, there's such a surge kind of every April and all of these different things in play. And I just started randomly looking at like pieces of property and, you know, looking on sites on the internet for like 
sandy soils and, you know, big enough tracts of land to, you know, to build a golf course and things that had topography and movement and all of this stuff. And I randomly found that site one day, um, which, you know, the now looking back on that, it's kind of one of the wilder stories ever. Um, I found it, um, like I said, just like on the internet, (laughs) went out, looked at it, thought it was really, really cool, you know, didn't know a ton about it, but then the kind of the global pandemic hit and we were just like sitting there and we were like, dude, we got to buy this property. So we ended up closing on the property or, uh, you know, putting an offer in on it and everything. And shortly after that, I got a call from, you know, a person I didn't know at the time asking if the property we bought was, you know, and he gave me some address and I'm like, I don't really know. And I gave him my number and, you know, he called me the next day and it ended up being Jeff Warren, um, <laughs> you know, who's from the area and everything yep. like that. And, I know Jeff, you know, he, he, you know, he's kind of like, is, uh, you know, is this property so-and-so on Holly Pond or I, you know, I can't even remember what he said and I didn't know at the time. And I was like, actually, yeah, it is. You know, how, you know, how would you know about that? And he was like, I actually was going to build a golf course there with Tom Doak and Brian Schneider. Um, like we were looking to do that. And I was like, how crazy, (laughs) you know, like, you know, what a crazy moment for all of us that were involved at that point going like, okay, like, yeah, we probably found a pretty cool piece of property, you know, if they, you know, if they were planning on doing that. So you know, it's been a really cool, crazy story and Jeff's involved and, you know, now Tom and Kai, like all of these people, you know, like what a serendipitous event, you know, um, it's been really cool. Yeah. You know, what else is funny about that, Zach, probably about the time you were doing that, I was down playing golf in Australia with Tom and Jeff and Brian Schneider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that we were all playing, we were all playing golf yeah. down there at the Renaissance cup and it was the same time yeah. you were on the land. Exactly. And I got back and Jeff was like, gosh, I was down like in Australia playing. That's why I couldn't close on the property like just to do this project. <laughs> he came in and scooped it up while, you know, while we were on vacation. So, uh, you know, just everything about it has been wild and so cool. And, you know, it's been really fun for me. And, you know, to have so many cool people and talented people involved now has been uh, has been awesome. Yeah, and you you closed on the project on your thirtieth birthday, which had to be a pretty cool three uh, zero celebration. Yeah, you know, thanks to a, a bunch of friends, and you know, it was it was really cool. What a birthday present, and you know, hoping that <laughs> hoping that the thirty first birthday, there's you know some other cool stuff happening down there. I hear the sixth hole particularly is going to be uh, is going to be pretty special. Maybe you can elaborate on some of the other. Uh, inspirations that you've gotten from some of the other great golf courses out in the world that people know about? Yeah. So one that I'm actually, it's so crazy, you know, to talk about now and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I don't want them to think I'm trying to build the hardest course in the world out here, but you know, when we got Tom involved, he, he had me write him a letter and talking about some holes that I liked and just, cool holes, courses that I thought were fun, just all this, you know, stuff. And I'd mentioned to him that the, you know, the fifth hole at Pine Valley was, um, you know, one of the cooler par threes, you know, that I thought, you know, it's a really hard par three, very dramatic. And, you know, at the time, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing in this letter, you know, telling him I want the fifth hole at Pine Valley or something like that. But sure enough, as he got into the routing process, you know, he sent me this snapshot of, um, you know, I, I found a really cool spot for, for a hole that I think you can have a really dramatic long par three, similar to five at Pine Valley. And mm-hmm. so I feel like that hole, the more I've seen it and the more I've been out on property it is going to be really, really special. You know, hopefully we can make it a little easier than five at PV, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think there, there are a lot of really cool holes out there. The sixth is one that's really sticking out right now, kind of like a, 285 yard drivable par four that kind of plays with this big, you know, bank on the left to kind of help feed some balls in. And, um, the 18th right now is same, same type of distance, 280, 300, you know, drivable par four finisher. I, uh, in the same letter and, you know, I've talked to Kai about it a million times about, 
how some of my favorite finishers are like 18 at St. Andrews and 18 at North Berwick. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just don't see that too often, especially in, you know, modern, you know, too many modern courses. It seems like, seems like, you know, you always see a, a tough par four or, a, you know, a reachable par five with some water or something, you know, some risk reward, whatever. Sure. But I thought it would be really cool to, uh, you know, to have this, par four where there's no water out of bounds or anything. It's just kind of this, this big ridge ridge line on the left side, but you know, hopefully most people will be able to, you know, knock one on when it's firm and fast. And I thought that would be pretty cool, but but there are so many cool holes out there. Like Kai was talking about, it's like everywhere you turn, you felt like you could make a really cool hole. It was just trying to find, you know, the best way to link them up to, to make the best collection of 18. So um, I, I feel like Kai and Tom have done a really cool job um, with all of that and excited to see how it all goes. Tom does a good job of finding really good green sites to start the golf hole. So you don't have to work real hard to build the greens, which makes makes for a good golf course. And Zach kind of saw that when Tom sent his routing in. All the green sites were pretty much spots Zach was familiar with or it's like, oh, yeah, that looks really cool. And it's not like, how are we going to build a green there? It's like, oh, I can see there's a really cool green right there. So yeah. that's one of the cool yeah. things we've got going. There's a lot of good green sites on the on the property too. <laughs> that is the biggest thing that I've seen from from this routing compared to when I was doing a lot of the routing. You know, I obviously didn't understand enough of it to you know to be you know the the one in charge. Thankfully, we've got Kai and Tom you know to come in and uh, you know kind of get this routing dialed in because it's something you can't really change, but when when I was doing it all, it, it felt like it was always like I had really, really cool ideas for holes and they were laid out on cool pieces of the property. But then it always seemed to be like, what should we do for the green here? And then when Tom and Kai came in and when Tom sent me his routing and we went and walked it for the first time, it was it was so obvious what that green was going to be that mm-hmm. it made everything so much easier where you're like, okay, like this is how it's supposed to be done. You know, you get up to like the second hole and you're like, oh, yep, that's, that's the green. Like, you know, you don't have to do much to it. You just, you build a green, you put some contours in it or whatever, and, and it, it'll be a really cool site. So that's hmm. been something that I've learned a lot about over the last, you know, three or four months. And I'm excited to keep kind of learning more about it. For maybe somebody who's listening to our podcast who doesn't quite get architecture in the same vein that you two do, uh, there's a lot of golf courses that are built out there that are just, they're just okay. They're fun, but they're not, they're not super exciting. They don't want to make you come back time after time. What is the difference in your mind between a good golf course architecturally and a great golf course? Oh. The first are just what we're talking about. If you don't have really good greens or great greens, you're not going to have a great golf course. You don't find a great golf course with, ah, the greens are kind of crappy, but it's a great golf course. You know, you've, you've <laughs> got to have great greens. So that's the start. And that's kind of what I was mentioning where Tom's identifying these good green sites. And then you work your way backwards from that. But I think a really great golf course is unique. And it takes, it takes advantage of the location, the land that it's on to the best that it possibly can. And you might not understand it consciously, but subconsciously it just feels like it fits. If you go play Cypress Point, that's a very dramatic piece of ground, but it just works on the piece of ground. But then you could go play somewhere like Wingfoot. That's a pretty flat piece of ground, but they managed to build great greens out of nothing. And, but they still take advantage of that property. They maximize what movements on it. You know, there's, it's just maximizing the property you're on and, Mm -hmm getting you some variety and having great greens to me. And it's, but it's still kind of vague. What makes it great? It's, mm-hmm. I think it's something that just kind of, you can't describe it. Maybe it just, it just is. <laughs> it's just kind of you know, the architect just kind of build. It's just a natural sort of build. Like it was just meant to, meant to fit that land. Right. Yeah. I think Bill Corb once mentioned, he kind of walks the land almost like following the way the animal trails go or something, but it just flows across the land. Right. You know, you're not, getting in a cart and driving 400 yards to the next hole or you're backtracking up a hill or you're just playing through a hill that someone ran a a bulldozer through and cut a big trough through this hill that you hit through. It's just Mm -hmm. obvious that the bulldozer went through it. You know, you, it just, it should feel natural, I think right off the bat, but it's just, 
it just fits the land. I mean, I don't know how a better way to say it. Sure. Similar question for you, though, on the experience side, Zach. I mean, the, all the places that you've played, what is the difference for you between, you know, an average golf experience? And maybe it's just as outside of the, you know, like just the physical nature of the golf course. But, you know, there, there's lots of things that go into a project that are more than the course. It's the it's the whole experience. It's the feel. It's the maybe the accommodations you have or it's the the cool little things. I've ever even heard about the hooch hut. Uh, maybe you can elaborate on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Hooch Hut, uh, one of our neighbors built it for us to kind of, uh, you know, store some stuff on, on the property right now. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, hopefully we'll have, you know, a couple of places that are a little nicer to stay once it's all said and done, but that's doing a good job for now. Um, but, you know, the experience for me is, you know, the golf course is obviously the most important thing. If you, if you have a really good golf course, it obviously elevates everything else in the experience it seems like if you have a really good course everything else kind of is uh you know kind of gets a break you could have a kind of a decent clubhouse and people would be like man that clubhouse is so cool when the golf course is good right but if the golf course sucks people are like god that clubhouse was small and like the food wasn't (laughs) good but uh so so to me a lot of it comes back to the golf course in all honesty but uh you know, the experience is so important, just kind of having a relaxed, you know, atmosphere and vibe where people can just go have fun. Because at the end of the day, that's what they're out there to do. You know, they're they're out there to enjoy the golf course, enjoy the company that they're with, and just, just relax and have a good time. Um, so kind of doing everything to allow that to happen is... Uh, you know, where you kind of get the, the best odds of, of, of building a, a great experience with a great golf course. You know, Zach, one thing we're, we're talking about all the time, though, is part of that experience, you know, this this idea of the 18th green and the first tee as feeder, you know, not mm-hmm. enough, not enough clubhouses are engaged with the 18th green. They're even just separated by 50, 100 yards and you kind of finish your round and you walk off and, you know, tell us about like this idea of, of, of having the patio or the porch or the, you know, the proximity of people hanging out after the round to the 18th green in the first tee as kind of an essential ingredient to the experience. Yeah, for us, um, you know, a big thing for me and and everybody that's been involved and Colin kind of touched on it is, you know, this communal aspect, getting people together, you know, getting people hanging out with one another in some of these environments that are, you know, these built environments. And for, for me, one of the important things, like I described earlier, was having this 18th hole, you know, be this drivable par four. And I felt like if we could kind of scoot the clubhouse as close to that green as possible, like, you know, almost to the point where it's, you know, like one step off the green, you know, where you can get all these people engaged that just finished their round, watching people finish their round. It's just something that isn't, you know, you don't see it that much, especially in America. Um, But it really does create, a really cool environment for all of these people that are, you know, trying to enjoy the round. You know, you see Colin finishing up, you know, making a birdie or an eagle on 18, or you see somebody, you know, in one of these greenside bunkers kind of hit a bad shot. And, you know, you you get all these different kind of emotions going on and, you know, you got to be okay with somebody kind of, you know, blading one out of the bunker and breaking a window every once in a while. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, may, it makes everything, you know, it makes everything more exciting. I think uh, it's everybody's job that's in the clubhouse to kind of be on their toes watching what's going on on 18. So, and that, and one for, for that matter, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we're kind of toying around with these ideas of like Colin mentioned, you know, it being theater and, and, uh, you know, just providing people another, you know, something else to, to do or watch or see or kind of be a part of that, uh, that whole experience of the golf kind of when it's going on and when it's done. So I think it's something that we can do a really good job with, um, from some, some of the places that we've all 
seen and, and been a part of. Um, and, and I think it'll be kind of its own unique experience that'll be really cool. Steve and Zach, you guys have experience playing with a gallery and what that's like, but most, most guys that play golf have never experienced anything like that. Right. And for an example, someone that goes to play Marion for the first time, if you tee off during lunch, you know, you hear everybody, the plates are clinging and the forks dangling, and then you step up to the tee and everybody stops. And the quiet, it just freaks you out. It's like, <laughs> holy cow, everybody's watching. That. And, you know, I think that's a cool experience for the average guy that they don't experience. That, you know, like I said, Steve and Zach have done it a lot and understand how to handle it. But it's a cool thing for the average guy to have 40 guys watching. No, totally. that's why it's, totally. it's fun to watch him yeah. choke his guts yeah. out too, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that'll be fun. That'll be, that'll be, that'll be, it's not done enough. It, it you know, in Zach was, you know, in the UK, those beautiful clubs like Troon and Muirfield and it, Royal Litham, those massive bay windows are right behind the 18th green. And then there's those, the old members, you know, having their port, but, like there's not enough clubhouses in America where, you know, you finish the round and there's people in the chairs just like right there watching the, watching the golf finish. And I, it's an underrated aspect if you can, if you can sort of lay it out correctly. And I think that's, that, that, that should be every bit the uh, part of the experience for, for golfers on their visit. Yeah. So, so I guess just give us a sense of the, of the timeline of what, when can we kind of get an idea of, you know, the, the golf world would love, would love pictures. Obviously, if anybody follows you, Zach, on social media, uh, which are a lot of you folks, uh, the, uh, you, you're going to get a pretty good idea. But when's, what sort of a timeline when we can start seeing some holes ready or part of the golf course or, you know, we're, we're excited as, as fans of architecture, too. And we know golf is in really a great place in this world. And a lot of, you know, courses are starting to come online a little bit more than they have been in the last 10 years. But when can we uh, wet our whistle with some really cool tree farm architecture, pictures, videos, et cetera? Yeah, so Kai and uh, Tom and the team are coming down um, next week, I think. Uh, going to be on site for a couple of days, going over the routing a little bit, and then you know, really just kind of cracking on getting all the ducks in a row. And we're hoping that uh, this fall, you know, we'll be ready to kind of get things going and, you know, shaping through, you know, to early next year. And if everything kind of follows the timeline that we think we can stay on, you know, grassing kind of sometime next summer and let it grow in for a year or so. And, and, you know, be ready for play in 2023. That's all, you know, that's if everything goes according to plan. But, um, you know, that's the plan right now. And the turf that you're going to use and the obviously the, the soil is very sandy, which is going to lend itself to the ground game. Have you decided on the, the type of uh, it's going to be a Bermuda, obviously, because you're in the in the southeast. But uh, have you kind of dialed in on all that? Those details, would you be willing to share any of that with us? You know, we really haven't, um, like, picked anything specifically out. Uh, you know, we don't have a super at the moment, and, you know, that's obviously a, 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 you know, a personal preference of who's taking care of the grass. You know, obviously all of us will have some sort of say in it, but, uh, you know, we, we don't have anything picked out as of right now, but... Mm -hmm. You know, as Colin, you know, I'm sure would share, we, we expect the place to, to be firm and fast and, you know, go dormant in the, uh, in the winters to kind of lend itself to, you know, the bona fide characteristics of a proper lynx. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see when, you know, when the time comes, I'm excited to kind of learn more about all of that, but uh, you know, that's kind of a little above my pay grade. <laughs> I do love, uh, you know, as a northerner, uh, you know, I do love going to the southeast in the winter and playing those tournament courses where you put your eight iron, you put it down in the fairway and it just slides, you know, and the, it plays, you get, you, you get the, you get the bona fide conditions of, of Lynx golf, like where it, it just, it's fast. I look forward to that. I think that this, this site has the potential to, uh, to, I think it's going to be underrated in December and January and February. I think it's going to be a great place to come down and play some winter golf. 
Totally, totally. And I think, uh, you know, no need for the people out there to be scared. You know, Kai kind of mentioned, you know, the, you know, the, those dormant conditions back in the day, you know, where you're basically playing off mud. It, you know, it's not like that anymore. You know, you get, no, you get these the grasses places. are completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get these places now, you know, a hoopie, for example, does a really, really good job with it. You know, you get down there and it's, it's just so fun to see the ball just flying around that place. I, I, I know I've talked to Red about it a few times when I've been down there, just, you know, just seeing how cool it is. And I, I think it's an experience when you get out there and see it for the first time. For example, I took my dad down there and I told him, you know, it's dormant Bermuda and he comes from St. George, Utah, and they have dormant Bermuda and all the members are, you know, getting all upset because it's those, <laughs> you know, they've got this idea of this, like Kai was mentioning earlier, like kind of playing off the mud of this storm at Bermuda. And so my dad was kind of a little skeptical kind of going into it. And he was just like blown away, you know, by the conditions and how fun it was and how fast it was and how easy it was to, you know, use the ground and see the ball running all over the place. So that's, that's the idea for sure. Oh, that's going to be exciting to play, exciting to see it all unfold. Before we let you go, Zach, this is uh, designing golf courses is not your, uh, a lot of people think it's your day job, but your your quote unquote day job is the PGA Tour player. Uh, you, you've played a great finish back at the Safeway Open in 2019, tied for fourth. Last fall, you uh, unfortunately uh, found out a, a pretty good injury and uh you you had some multiple tears in your right labrum you've uh you've had some surgery and you're on the mend from that when are we going to see you on tour again yeah hopefully uh hopefully this fall and you know as long as i actually go in for another mri on my left shoulder you know to see if there's anything wrong with that one um but i'm not too sure on that one yet but if, uh, if that one's all good, you know, I'm planning on maybe making a couple of rehab starts kind of later this summer and then expecting to be back out, uh, you know, on the big tour in the fall. So probably at the Safeway. Nice. Well, look, I mean, you know, there's I guess there's a certain amount of golf courses. I mean, you may be one of the, the, the shorter hitters on the PGA Tour. I mean, how many golf courses can you compete on and will – and will the tree farm project will what sort of length sort of golf course might might we expect there? And uh, you know, is it going to be a, a sporty? Is it going to be a you know a little longer than average? What sort of what sort of thing might that kind of gel with uh, your own personal game? As far as the tree farm goes, you know, I'm expecting you know the thing to uh, you know play around like sixty six, sixty seven hundred yards, which is uh kind of shocking i think for a lot of people when they see that on the card um you know for a modern golf course but you know i'm looking to build something where people can go out and have fun and obviously not everyone's a, a pga tour player or, you know hits it as long as bryson DeChambeau. so um <laughs> you know i'm keeping kind of everybody in mind you know making sure it's a, a fun place to play but for me um on tour I, you know, I saw Kevin Kisner kind of say something that he can't win, you know, at certain places. I've actually kind of had like a different outlook on it in my career. Um, I feel like I could win anywhere if I'm playing good that week. Obviously, there are certain places that seem like they would be better or not for me, but I've played well at Torrey Pines and I've played well at, you know, Wiley. I've played well at the Safeway. Um, I, I played well at the Honda. So, you know, I've played, I've played good at all different types <laughs> of courses, long and short. Interesting. So I, I just have always felt like if I, if I'm playing good that week, which, you know, it, it changes for me every week. So, uh, if I'm playing good that week, I feel like I can p- compete anywhere. Um, but it also kind of says, you know, if I'm not playing good that week, I, I could miss the cut at a, a place like Valspar where every, every year I go into that saying like man this place is absolutely perfect for me it's a little tighter usually plays firm the wind you know it's usually windy and fast and 
you know, I, I, I've just never, ever played good there, but I've gone to Torrey Pines and played well there a couple of times in my career, you know, a, a place that people kind of sit back and go, why do you even go there? Like you have no chance, but you know, so, um, but the tree farm is definitely not having any of my professional career, you know, thrown into it. <laughs> More of my recreational career. And I'll give you something, Steve, when we when we talk about the golf. Zach talking about the golf course, Zach has never mentioned his own game once when we're talking <laughs> about the holes though. I mean, he's not he's obviously not thinking, How can I win out here or how can I beat everybody? It's just he's just trying to build cool golf holes. It's not about his own game. Oh, that, well, that's exciting. Colin, you have anything to add before we let these gentlemen off the hook? No, gents, thank you for your time tonight. <laughs> um, it's going to be a fun project to, uh, to to watch it unfold, and we wish you guys really well with, and, and tremendous success with it. Thank well, you, guys. Appreciate the time. No, really appreciate Thanks for uh Thanks for everything you guys are doing for the game, and just the – you guys make golf exciting, I think. That's the biggest thing, right? I mean, from building it to – playing it to talking about it to merchandising it uh you guys really hit uh hit every nail on the head and check every box so uh so thanks for joining us on our 50th edition of our silver club podcast a very very special episode thanks all right yep thank you we'll see you guys later big thanks once again to zach and kai for spending the time with us and sharing such great insights into their new project the tree farm just outside of Aiken, South Carolina. Such great stuff, and we cannot thank them enough for being a part of our 50th episode of our Silver Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and download all of our episodes up to this point. We've had some great people on, and we will continue to connect you to the fabric of this great game that we all love. Until next time, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll look forward to bringing you another Silver Club podcast real soon.